Anyway, it is great to be here. John chapter 14, we will continue uh, along in that passage this morning, particularly uh, the verses 15 through 31. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn there. We will have specific scriptures up on the screen this morning, but this is a large, beautiful chunk of text. So we're not going to be able to cover it all this morning, but we're going to look at the major themes and kind of pick it apart. So good morning. Good morning. <laughs> yeah. I have eagerly anticipated this morning. Uh, I love Church on Mill. I love Chuck. I love the staff. I kind of like Tad, so it's a really <laughs> good situation. Uh, I really do love this place. We feel at home here. We feel encouraged. Um, I don't know if, if you understand what you have here, but your staff is pretty good. Um, I like those guys a lot. So this is an honor. Uh, it's a joy, it's a privilege, uh, one, to just kind of stand in a place where good preaching happens each week. So that's a joy of mine, uh, an honor, uh, because I love God a whole lot. Um, and so this moment is fearful, but yet super exciting. Um, so uh, John 14 will be there, but I'm going to just pray quickly, and then we're going to dive in uh, to the text this morning. Father God, we're here. Um, I have uh, thought so much about this moment, and I pray that my thoughts will not get in the way of what you truly want to do. Uh, we come with a big and a, a rightly dependence upon you, uh, upon the helper, the spirit, to come and do a great work in our midst this morning. Uh, we are desperate for that. We need that. As your children, we don't need a great message. We don't need the perfect song. What we need this morning is to hear from you. So may God, you, the Spirit, come and wash over our hearts, our souls, and take the text and help us to know what it truly means. Help us to apply. Help us to be deeply encouraged this morning. So, Father, it is in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So this text is quite uh, beautiful. But before I begin, if I say the word help, what comes to mind? What can I do for you? Well, you actually had answers. It's good. We're lively this morning. That's good. I like it. Um, what if I say it this way? Help. Nisa, there we go. Yes. That was a test to see if that would work. But uh, so, yeah, the famous song, help, I need somebody. Not just, all right. Yeah, anyway, we'll move on. Uh, but help is a universal word, right, amongst humans uh, to indicate a need for assistance. And sometimes that assistance comes with various levels of desperation, right? Which is usually communicated through the tone of voice or how loud or how soft they may say it or how red in the face they say it. Uh, but providing help is so important that universal language was adopted by many countries to cut down on confusion and to send help quickly, such as Mayday. Right? 1927, if you're curious, that was adopted. Uh, and if you're really kind of nerdy and want to know, that corresponds with the French pronunciation of the words that mean help me. Yeah, so it's interesting. You're thinking, where in the world is this guy going? Well, I have a point, so stick with me. So help is such an important word to communicate distress that one can even learn certain symbols right, to communicate distress, or if they can't speak, or if they're in a situation where they cannot be heard, such as what? SOS, right? A series of three dots, three dashes, three dots, tapped out on a telegraph key. You didn't know that, huh? <laughs> some of you probably did, but some of you didn't know. 
Uh, so that was universally adopted in 1908 because it was super helpful. Now, if you're a camper or you like to hike, you find yourself out in the woods, you've learned a few techniques. If you get lost, build a fire. The bigger, the better. <laughs> Set the forest on fire. You'll be helped at some point. <laughs> Set a tree on fire. Set everything on fire and, and there'll be help. But also, you can kind of create smoke signals. I didn't really realize this, but if you do three puffs of clouds, that means help. Eh, who knew? Uh, I don't know where you'll find the blanket to do that, but hey, nonetheless, three puffs of clouds going up, and that means help. You know the, the old mirror technique? It's pretty helpful. Some uh, pilots have reported seeing that from quite a long distance, so very effective. Or you can always resort to the ever uh, helpful and successful waving your hands uncontrollably. Help! 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 I need somebody, not just anybody. No, you're probably not singing the song at that point. But nowadays, phones, I don't know if you know this, they have a secret button or maybe a sequence of buttons that you hit uh, that will record sound. It'll take a photo from the front camera, from the back camera, and then it'll text the word SOS, the audio, the pictures, and GPS coordinates to whomever you have decided previously that's your emergency contact. You're thinking, how do I know that? Well, my wife has this feature on her phone. And about once or twice a month, I get a text message <laughs> with SOS, audio of that makes no sense, two pictures that make no sense, and a GPS coordinates of where she is located. Typically, though, that text is followed by, I don't need help. <laughs> but the need for help can even be communicated through body language, right, or facial expressions, such as a blank stare when you're explaining something to someone, particularly your kids. Clean your room. <laughs> what? The, my room? Uh, what's the room? And what's clean? Eat your dinner. Well, I don't know what you mean, eat my dinner. What are you talking about? Stop hitting your brother. I didn't hit him. You know, there's all these blank stares. And this, this certainly means that help is required for understanding, even maybe some hands-on assistance. This is how you clean your room. This is how you eat your food. Tears might suggest someone is troubled and in need of help through possibly comforting. The married couple who walk frantically one in front of the other with sour looks on their faces. You've seen them and you've been them. They might need help, right? The parents disheveled as they get out of the car, they just might need help in the form of a day off. <laughs> Even the Christian needs help. You in this room, no matter how seasoned of a believer you are, how much you think you have it together, you still need help. I mean, I need help. Matter of fact, pastors certainly need help. Just look at Josh. He needs help. <laughs> Just by a pastor's career choice, it means they're gluttons for punishment. So they absolutely need help. The psalmist had it right, didn't he? When he said, I lift up my eyes to the hill." From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And some of us have that memorized, right? Because that just floats through our head on a daily basis. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? Oh, how true that is and how true that he alone, God, has provided our greatest help which we will hopefully see clearly this morning with our time together. 
So we've been examining John 14 the last few weeks where Jesus has been preparing the disciples for his departure. Right? We've kind of seen that throughout. We're going to keep picking up on that theme. Now, I can't imagine the distress on the faces of the disciples when he says, hey, by the way, I'm going to be leaving soon. What? You're going to be like, we've given up everything to follow you and you're going to be leaving? I mean, does Peter look at Philip and say, break out the telegraph key, tap out SOS, we're going down, man. Maybe Thomas is running around, mayday, 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 we're all going to die, right? Well, probably not. But their questions are equivalent, right, to these calls for help. Verse 5 of chapter 14, Thomas says, we do not know where you are going. You're saying all this stuff, but I don't know where you're going. Come on, man. How can we know the way? I sense a, a deep level of desperation, a deep cry for help. Where are you going? You can't leave at a time like this. Well, in our text this morning, Jesus gives the ultimate answers to these cries for help. I mean, the text this morning is kind of like an onion. It's so many layers, but it's different than an onion because each layer is actually good. The overwhelming feel and the tone of the text, I, want you to, I just want you to hear this. The overwhelming feel and the tone of the text is love. Jesus cares deeply for them, and this is very evident throughout this particular chapter of 14 as God and Jesus are making preparations for his departure. So how do we begin, right? This, we were just talking this morning, Chuck and I, this legitimately, you could go word by word almost through this text and just feel the weightiness of this. Well, how do we begin? Well, why not the end, right? That's a great place to always begin. Well, verses 29 through 31 in our particular section give us an idea of why Jesus is doing what he's doing, particularly verse 29. So it'll be up on the screen as you turn your Bibles there. So it says this, and now I, this is Jesus, I say to you before it happens, in order that, here's the purpose, that when it takes place, because it's going to happen, you may believe. Now, I know I've listed several scriptures up there, but verse 29 particularly will kind of be our diving board by which we'll jump into these kind of deep waters. So here states rather emphatically the purpose for why Jesus has been taking time to lay out specific truths, very specific that we'll see. His entire intent of this whole dialogue is that they would believe. That's his purpose behind what he is doing. He, in the end, wants to foster and maintain belief. He fully understands it's going to get a little crazy. You're not going to fully understand what's going on. So I want to foster, I want to maintain belief. A tremendous amount of love and care is captured in these statements. Now, I'm taking the statement I have told you as it encompassing kind of all that has been said up to this point by Jesus. So there's something unique about what he has said that in turn will help when uncertainty and doubts begin to creep in upon them, because he knows that's coming. You see, there is certainty here in Jesus' voice 
that what he has said will have ongoing effects if believe and follow. Not just for this moment, but for all moments of uncertainty. There is surety in Jesus' words. This is not a statement that says, hey, I'm telling you, I'm telling you this, so I just hope that it works. You need to hear the weight of the statement. He is saying, I have told you these things, particularly, specifically, my intent is that you would believe, and I believe, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that they will help. That these words will foster belief and sustain you in uncertainty. So hopefully by this point you're wondering, what did he actually say then? And if you're not thinking that, then I'm doing a terrible job. <laughs> but... Nonetheless, at least now, maybe you're wondering, okay, well, what did he say then? If what he said is going to foster belief, and what he is saying is a sure statement, not a doubtful statement, he is positive that this is going to come about, then what did he say? Before I go any further, I need you to hear what Jesus said to them as if he is saying it, to you this morning. Let that like kind of sink in for a moment. Sure, he said this particularly to the disciples to prepare them for an uncertain time. Uncertain on their point, but very certain on his point. But I want us here, the church on Mill, to hear these words as if they are being spoke to us this morning because I think they have the same effect. I think they have the same appeal on our hearts today. Because I wonder if you've ever felt uncertain. I wonder if you've had moments of doubt, of frustration, of why. Well, maybe there's something helpful here this morning. Well, what did Jesus actually say? Well, let's begin with an undeniable theme of this section called obedience. And you're already going, oh, here we go, obedience, right? I never liked that word even growing up. You need to be obedient. I don't want to be obedient. You can't hold me down. I don't like your rules, right? But let me kind of word it this way to kind of capture what I think Jesus is saying. Love is obedience. Obedience is love. This is an undeniable theme of this section. If you just simply came to the text, did a flyby, you would walk away going, boy, he should have said a lot about keeping his commandments. So let's just look at a few here. Well, actually, all of them in particularly 14. Verse 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Pretty simple, right? If you love me, would that not be the result? So here, verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. All right. Verse 23, and if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Lastly, verse 24, whoever does not love me, does not keep my word. Four times emphatically saying obedience is significant in my departure. So in each instance of all the scriptures that we looked at, there is a question of love. Did you catch that? It was there quite often. Jesus seems to think that love is connected with obedience. And one cannot be separated from the other. He, see, he sees them intimately woven together kind of one of the same thing, with each kind of dependent on the other. Because why? Because if you have obedience without love, well, that's earning God's favor. 
which we oftentimes call legalism. But if you have love and no obedience, well, that leads to unhealthy living and really bad thinking, really, really bad theology, which we often call liberalism. So obedience must proceed from love. I mean, but doesn't it make sense that if you love someone that you typically will listen to them? I mean, there's trust in, those, in their words that have an impact on you, even when you don't really fully understand. Obedience is kind of a reflection of love. At least that's what I tell my kids over and over again. Obedience is a reflection of love. <laughs> you must not love me, right? But it is, right? There's something about obedience that shows love, or at least a trust and a commitment to something. So Jesus is appealing to their love for him and calling them to remain faithful to his word and simply do what it says. Do what he has said. You see, as one scholar put it, this is brilliant. Mere duty will not generate obedience to Christ. Only love for him can do that. So just simply mere duty will not generate obedience to Christ. Only love for him can do that. So it would make sense that he would appeal to love, not that you would earn my favor. But through love, you would do what I say. But maybe you're still asking, okay, I get it, but how is that encouraging? How is that preparation? If verse 29 is kind of our springboard, if that's how we're diving into these deep waters, how is this overwhelming theme of obedience, love is obedience, obedience is love, how is that encouraging? I mean, come on. You mean to tell me that keeping Jesus' commandments is helpful when you know what hits the fan, right? You're telling me that that is helpful? Yes. In his absence, obedience is crucial. Why is that? Let me propose a few thoughts for you. In uncertainty, would it not be helpful to already have an answer? When things are chaotic and things are out of control and your mind is swimming a thousand different directions, would it not be helpful to already have an answer in that moment? And not to mention that that answer is from someone who's not uncertain. What do I mean? Maybe I could illustrate it this way. When we first moved out here to Phoenix a few years ago, I needed to get a job. I've got, well, one kid at the time, two kids now, had a wife. They wanted to eat every now and then. So we came out here on a hope and a prayer. We're going to attend Phoenix Seminary. That was the only thing that I knew. No job, nothing. So I was lucky enough to get a job at a really famous chicken place. Yeah, you know where it is. I ate there all the time, so why not work there? Um, so became really dear friends with the owner-operator. It was allowed to be in leadership a lot and, and be able to have investment into some of the team there. I don't understand business at all, but I understand people. So I was able to really kind of use my gift in a there. But one of the unique things that they did for our leadership team is they did a personality test. You kind of know that, right? It wasn't Myers-Briggs. It was a little different than that. So as normal... You get the results back. Oh, you're relational. Yeah, I know that. Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it. But it had other categories. Oh, you are a rule keeper. Are you creator? Or whatever, right? Had all these Unique thing about this particularly personality test. This was so neat. I've never seen this before. They had another category called 
your adapted style. That's interesting. What do they mean by adapted? Well, they say, what is your personality, or what happens to your personality when it gets crazy? What happens to your personality when chaos happens? So, for instance, relationally was real high for me. I function through relationships, right? Everything I do is, is how it's going to affect my relationship. How can I grow that? I just love interacting with people. I love to talk. It's a wonderful deal for me, right? And then kind of, and I had some other ones, but then there was kind of like rule keeping. I was kind of like, eh, rules, eh, whatever. You kind of take or leave them. They're, they're guidelines, <laughs> right? Uh, that's kind of where it was. Interestingly, my adaptive style, now relationship didn't go away. It kind of went down a little bit, but interestingly enough, the rules came up. Because in chaos, when things were going crazy, I thought back to a calmer time <laughs> when we all had decided as a leadership team to handle a certain situation. So when I'm in the situation, ha, huh, the answer's already there. And so I gravitated towards whatever the decision was as a group because that's what we had already thought about. As a believer, as a Christian, our adapted style is obedience to Christ's commands. Not to say that when things are good and things are certain that obedience goes down. No, what I'm saying is that when it's chaotic, when it's uncertain, obedience goes out the roof because that's all we have. Our greatest effort in those moments of unsurety, of uncertainty, is to say, I will just simply be obedient to the text. I really think that Jesus is saying, hey, when in doubt, just do what I said. That's what you do when it, when it just gets crazy. Well, well, number two, how is this encouraging? How is this preparation? Well, Jesus loves him dearly. Particularly John 13, the washing of the disciples' feet, he's shown that to them. They know that he loves them, and so that's why it's somewhat surprising that he's saying, I'm going to go away. So he loves them. So what he has said is what is best for them. When you love someone, you don't give them things that are going to hurt them. But when you deeply love an individual, you give them things that are helpful. So every time... They keep his commandments. They are reminded of his love for him, right? Because they keep his commandments, and it works out like it was supposed to. God, they, they, Jesus knew what he was talking about. He loves them. It's filtered through love and care and concern. So what I've told you is what's best for you. I've already made the decision. Just follow that. Follow that. Well, thirdly, the text particularly says in verse 21, you should check it out. It says that in doing what Jesus has commanded will result and seeing him. So obedience is a way to see Jesus in his absence and experience his presence. Jesus and the Father will respond to obedience. Jesus and the Father, they will respond to obedience. You're not out on an island just going, hey, be obedient, we'll see how it works out. They will respond to obedience. Lastly, Jesus obeyed the Father. Right? Jesus obeyed the Father. Verse 31, he says, But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. And then randomly raised. Let's go from here. <laughs> but he says very clearly and very emphatically, I've only done what the Father told me. 
Philippians 2.8, obedience to death on a cross. So Jesus, in essence, is saying what? He's saying, you look at me in wonderment, and all I've been doing from the moment you saw me is doing what the Father told me. That's all I've been doing. The wonderment, the awe that you see is obedience to the Father. I wonder if we were obedient to Jesus' commands, if wonderment, Something about those moments could awaken hearts. Because he says that the world may know that I love the Father. Well, you might be thinking still, this stinks. <laughs> this is not very helpful. Well, Jesus did not say be obedient and then walk away. Hope it works out for you. Rather, he does something remarkable. And he asked the Father to send a helper that would enable obedience. So let's see those verses, starting with verses 16 and 17. Here's what Jesus says. The second thing, he's going to send a helper, a significant truth. So here's the text. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, not to take the place of Jesus, but yet, yet another helper, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. So the next text that we see this sending of a helper is verse 26. Let me read that to you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, there's his name, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. So the second thing that I think is significant here and encouraging is that Jesus says he's going to ask the Father to send a helper. I mean, I, I could just stop there, and that feels really good. That feels amazing. So in verse 16, we see this word, and. I don't want to just, and you think, and, okay, whatever. But I don't want to slip over that too quickly, because this is a continuation of the thought of obedience. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and... You see, they're kind of connected in a unique way. So he says, and I'm going to ask the Father to give you another helper. He's not dropping the obedience bomb and letting the shrapnel fly to destroy their hope. Obedience, boom. Hope it works out for you. But he is saying, he doesn't just walk away, but he asks the Father to send a helper to be with them forever. Jesus calls for obedience, then he asks for the means by which we can be obedient. That's brilliant. That is Brilliant. You need to be obedient. And by the way, they're going to send the helper to enable obedience. <laughs> Who is the helper? Well, none other than the third part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth. Why this title of helper? Because maybe you've already kind of seen your translations has various different words. Well, this is a fascinating kind of uh, stuff here. But this title, helper, which you want to paraclete, it's the Greek word. Not a pair of cleats to go play soccer, but a pair of cleats. Anyway, all right. Not a pair of keet, but a pair of cleats. All right, anyway, we'll move on. All right, so helper. This is fascinating, but this title is only found five times in the New Testament, and John is the only one who uses the term. Four of the occurrences are always in reference to the Holy Spirit in kind of a more general sense. And one is in 1 John talking specifically about Jesus being our advocate. It's more narrow in that sense. 
So translations, they've used several terms when we get to this particular text. For instance, they may have said comforter, said advocate, um, may have said counselor, or, and as we have read, helper, which I think is probably our, our best to get into good generic sense. But to all of these, I say yes. Absolutely. The only dilemma is that would make for kind of a weird translation. Uh, it'd be this, this, and this, and this. But that is a sense in which John is using it. He does not have in mind a specific role, but rather a helper. And that's why I think helper is generic enough for us to kind of get a good feel of what the Spirit is going to be doing. As a helper to come alongside us. The greatest answer to Jesus' absence is that he will not be absent. The greatest answer to Jesus' absence is that he will not be absent. But God the Father is going to send God the Spirit at the request of God the Son, and he'll come alongside and help. Jesus' greatest answer to his absence is that he will not be absent. But the Spirit, the helper, will come much like a mom who picks her boy up to comfort him and tend to his skin knee. Like a dad who sits with his kid who's felt the sting of rejection and counsels them through life's heartaches. Or maybe like the social worker who stands in a gap for the starving child who has no food. Or the lawyer who fights for the immigrant who's simply looking for a better country. But here's what's even more staggering, is all these scenarios are kind of expected. But God helping us? That's almost scandalous. God, almighty God, God the Spirit coming to help us. Wretched, old, poor us, sinners who doubt, who don't get it, who walk away, who, who complain. Sends him to help. How's the Spirit going to help? Well, two things. Teach and bring to remembrance all that Jesus said. It seems that Jesus' words... They hold great power. It, it just seems that Jesus' words, they hold great power. And it's his words that helper will ensure we understand fully and remember. You see, the helper will bring Jesus' words alive and teach their significance. How? By kind of filling in what they actually mean. The Spirit's not going to conjure up anything new. He's just going to teach us, bring to remembrance Jesus' words, particularly the disciples, fill in the gaps, and they're going to go, oh, that was brilliant. I never saw it then, but the Helper has aided me to see it now. And no matter what is going on around me, I will remain faithful. <coughs> Jesus says, I'm going to ask the Father to send a Helper. Well, lastly, Jesus explains there, I'll make a case, our position as believers. The last thing he does to encourage them. So two verses, verse 17, he says, you know him, talking about the spirit, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's crazy. And then it gets even crazier. Verse 20, in that day, you will know, what will you know? That I am in my father, you in me, and I in you. That's staggering or really confusing, isn't it? 
wait a minute. Okay, so in that day, you'll know that I am in the Father, you in me, and I in you. Yeah. Exactly. But this is staggering and, and can best be illustrated this way. Now, this isn't unique to me. I actually saw someone do this, and this was extremely helpful to me. God. I know this is a, a high-tech, uh, <laughs> high-budget deal here. Um, so the Father, we got the God here, right? Maybe you've seen this analogy before. I, I saw it. It was super helpful to me. So what is he communicating? So we have God here, right? So uh, verse 20 says, in that day you will know that I am in the Father. That's Christ, right? You guessed it. Here he is. Not really here, but nonetheless. So Christ is in the Father, all right? So he's in God, okay? What's the next step? Uh, you'll know that I'm in the Father and you in me. Well, all right. This is interesting. There we are. Us. Because I'm in that too, just so you know. All right. Us. So where are we? Well, we are in Christ. So we'll open up Jesus here. And we'll go there, right? And then there's one more statement. And I in you. See, we can't communicate this with us. We're only one person, but uh, Christ gets the second one. So... We flip into here to us, and then we end up right there, right? So what does this mean? Check this out. Well, there's the Father. Well, there's Christ. Well, there we are, and if we go a little step further, there's, there's Christ again. That's staggering, right? And over here, there's God, in case you're not following. A lot of college students over here, they're on summer break. <laughs> There's Christ, and then we get to us, and then there again is Christ, right? That's staggering. Well, we have one more verse there, 17. You know him, the Spirit, for he dwells with you. So wait a minute. There's more. Huh? The Spirit, the Helper. What does it say? It says you'll be, uh, he dwells with you, right? So we're kind of in the Spirit. So we'll take us out of here. Drop us in the spirit, and then put that back in here. And then it goes even further, and he will be in you. And so now we flip back to us, and we put the spirit there. So check this out. There's God. This is like so like elementary, but yet so good. There's God. There's Christ. And then there's the Spirit. <laughs> we haven't even got to us yet. And there we are. But here's what's even brilliant, right? Because then there's Christ. There he is. And then there's the Spirit as well, right? We are firmly fixed within the comfort of the Trinity. We are firmly fixed within the comfort of the Trinity. This indeed is help. Jesus prepares the disciples with giving them a clear picture of where they actually live in him. You want a GPS coordinates of you? Right here. So it begs the question, why? Why do you live such a defeated lifestyle? Right? What? If this is true, 
If this is true, and it is true because there's many other passages that allude to this in dwelling, why do we live such a defeated lifestyle? 2 Peter 1.3 says this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I say so. This indeed is help. Are you obedient? This is your reality. Do you believe? Yeah, but this is not my experience, right? Many of you may be thinking it sounds all great and wonderful and so cool, your little analogy. I'm, I'm all right with that. How is it? This is not my experience. Well, is this true of you? Is, I guess my first question. For this to be our experience, we've got to be tucked away. We've got to be tucked away in here. Is, is, this, is this your position today? Because if it isn't, life stinks. <laughs> well, I don't know any other way to put it. I don't know any other way to break it to you. But the power lies within the words. We learned last week that the word does the work, right? The spirit seems to work best within these words. He seems to be able to take these words and teach us all things. Remind us of Jesus' very words to bring about encouragement. So the absolute most simple way I can put it is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are with us. This is bedrock to the Christian faith. And if this is not your reality, would you consider today that this might be helpful? Because I'd venture to say all your pursuits right now, they don't guarantee you this. Tucked away in all this comfort and all this help, and then even inside of us there lies Christ's. This is bedrock to the Christian faith. So, would you please go this week and act like you believe that? <laughs> Could you seriously, church on meal, go about your week and live as if this is true? I trust that life will be tough on you this week. I can almost bank on it. But we have help. We have help. Let's pray. Father God, I'm so grateful for your scriptures. I'm so grateful for this moment. And I pray that the helper has done just that, that he has taught us and he has filled in the gaps for our lives to pinpoint where we need to hear this truth this morning. To not only hear it, but to be encouraged, convicted, and believe it. Father, this is Jesus' preparations for the disciples and in turn is our preparation as we live for him. So may we be obedient as a reflection of love. May we cling to the helper this week and may you remind us of our position in you. So Father, I love you and I thank you. See you now we pray. Amen.